Tracy Tully and you're listening to Tracy Tully Talks at bbsradio.com, the place to be right now, streaming live with another 60 minutes of thought-provoking topics, sharing with you conversations that are relevant today, tomorrow and in the future. Join me each week on Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. Australian time, AEST, 5 p.m. Wednesday PT, hello Los Angeles. If you miss the live show, Jump onto your favourite podcasting platform and you'll find me on Tracy Tully Talks. We do have some adult language, so if you have some little ones around, pop on your earphones. Hello and welcome. It's Tracy from Tracy Tully Talks and it's lovely to see and hear you again today. I have in our studio the wonderful Samantha Beckman one part of a team of two and her husband, Jeremy, and they are the founders and directors of Two Bent Rods. Welcome to our show, Samantha. Thank you very much, Tracy. Lovely to have you on board. Now, for our listeners, we have a really interesting guest today because Sam and her husband, Jeremy, they run Two Bent Rods, and what they do is they teach people to fish and they do lots of other community work. So I'm going to ask Sam a few questions today and she's going to share with you her knowledge, skills and ideas and I have even asked her to bring some products in to show us. So if you are watching us, then you'll be able to learn a lot from Sam today. So Sam, tell us, how did you come about to starting up Two Bent Rods? Yeah, sure, Tracy. Um so back when our family was younger, our, our kids, um, so we're going back about 16 years, <clears throat> so our kids were nine, one and two, so we just went to our local beach. We took yabby pump, bait net and fishing rods and within probably about half an hour of pumping yabbies, we had 20 kids following us around. Uh, these kids had never seen a yabby before. Uh, they were just so eager to jump in and help. Um, so we, once we'd caught enough to use, enough yabbies to use for bait, we then moved over to dragging a bait net and that part can be really exciting for the kids because it's instant fish. So you can catch a whiting and say this one's safe to touch or you might catch some dangerous creatures as well. But we ended up with about 30 kids following us for three or four hours that day and they lived so close to the beach yet that they'd never seen fish, they'd never seen yabbies. So we thought, I wonder if there's something that we can do. So that's when Two yeah. Bent Rods was sort of born. It was... It was hatched. It was formed hatched <laughs> yes. on the ocean, on the beach. How lovely. And what a fabulous uh, opportunity for you to respond to helping to educate and supervise kids that are in and around the beach area. But also you're telling me that you extend that out. Your businesses actually extend out to 200 kilometre radius. Is that correct? Pretty much. For, that's for our fishing classes. And then we also yes. do uh, pest fishing competitions. We run them statewide at the moment. Ah, good. We'll get back to those because they're, they're very interesting as well. But right now I'd love for our listeners to hear how you run fishing classes for kids, and it's not just for kids. Sam was telling me that her oldest uh, a student was 91 years old. How fascinating is that? That's really cool. Can you please tell us a little bit about what you do and how you do it when you have a class? Yeah, sure. So our basic classes, or the majority of our classes start with a, a safety briefing. Um, being in Queensland with the skin cancer capital of the world, 
So we talk about sun safety, but we also talk about the dangerous creatures and things that you can come across, what's the best first aid, how to keep yourself safe, and then we go into catching your bait. So we go down with yabby pumps and the kids learn how to pump up the yabbies. We drag the bait net um, so that can get us some smaller bait fish to use as well. And it also gives us a chance to identify any creatures that they've caught. <clears throat> we teach them how to tie a fishing knot. Uh, we use a another Queensland company. They've got a, a brand called Hookies, so we use them as well. That takes the fear away from the kids tying the knot so the, the hook doesn't really go in their finger. Mm-hmm. Once you take that fear away, they can learn a little bit easier. And then we um, show them how to cast and we take them fishing and give them a few tips on how to hook up a fish. <laughs> and uh, I can identify with the fear of fish hook in the finger. <laughs> Our dad used to take us fishing. We used to have a reel. And, uh, yes, we, we, you know, the fear of standing on it or hooking it into our finger uh, was always was always there. So Sam and her husband Jeremy take the classes and they can be on a jetty or offshore. Would you like to explain to everyone how you teach uh, offshore? So, so we are all um, shore-based, so we don't take anybody out in a boat. Um, we have we run from anywhere from 15 to 20 different locations between the Gold Coast and the Sunshine Coast at the moment. So we find that we like to take everybody to, to catch their bait in that area because that, if you're catching that bait, that's what those fish are coming in to eat anyway, so that does help to increase your chances of, of catching fish. I did bring along a little, a lovely little creature too. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> there so that, we go. Yabby. So that's a saltwater yabby. They do have a, have mm-hmm. a nipper on it. Yeah, um, hold it up a little bit more if you wouldn't oh. mind. Here's a squirmy. There you go. Look at that little pincer. So there's a saltwater yabby. I'm only used to freshwater yabbies, so we'll talk about that in a minute. So uh, that's what you're looking at catching in your pumps. Would you like to yes. explain what what a sand pump looks like for those people who haven't um, who haven't seen or done anything yes. like that. Sorry, I didn't bring the one of those in. Um, so it's a long cylindrical shape and it's got two handles and you pull them apart and you're basically sucking the sand out and then you're spitting it back out. So you, you keep going in that same hole and you're getting down deeper and deeper. And you, know, you can get two to three or four yabbies out of a hole down here. Up north you, you'll get more. Yes. They're just a little yeah. bit more prevalent up there. But yeah, I do find them a very good bait to use. Ah, so we use yabby nets out west where I'm from, and of course our yabbies are huge. They're like a meal on their own. They're 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 massive, <laughs> and they are delicious. Really, they really are. Delicious. So, uh, and uh, here we go. You would have more of that type of yabby. Correct. <laughs> yes, that's our, our guy always grubby, <laughs> grubby in the dirt, in the mud. Mud. They love the mud, and uh, I know Christmas for our kids. Every Christmas we go right out, right out west, and I'm talking out towards a place called Aramanga, which is the furthest distance from the sea in any given direction. And we, because it was so hot at Christmas, we would sit in the creeks and uh, the kids would catch their yabbies and then we'd boil them up and and uh, have them for dinner. So tell me now, once you've got your uh, bait and so you've got fish and different types of fish, so you're showing the kids how to, to collect their uh, bait and, and also during that time you, you'd be teaching them how to 
uh, care for their their um their booty i should say so care for them correctly to to make sure that they're not wasted and and abused yes about that Mm. yep sure so we always push the idea of um you only take what you need so sometimes uh, there's been a couple of times where we've dragged the net and we may have caught say three to five hundred hardy head which is a small white bait fish yes but you don't keep all them because you, you, we need to, kids to learn about sustainability. So we'll keep what we're going to need for the day. Uh, a couple of the fish will die as they pull them in, so we especially keep those ones and use them for bait and, and we release as, as many of those fish as possible. And the kids really get a kick out of releasing them as well. <clears throat> That's good. That's really good. It's really important. So what age, what is the youngest age that you start um, teaching in your classes? For a paid class, I, I we don't like to go too much younger. We won't go any younger than five. Yes. Um, <clears throat> just sometimes the attention span's not there. Yes. Depending on the child, of course. Some, some of them are right into it. I've got a five-year-old that comes along and he will quite happily take over the class and teach them how to tie a fishing knot. Um, <laughs> but the other kids, they're just not quite at that stage. Um, with our council programs... Well, you can bring a two-year-old along because mm-hmm. a lot of them are free and low cost. So you're not outlaying that money yeah. without expecting a return. So they're, they're family events, so the council events that parents can come and... Yeah, so um, yeah. we contract to the Brisbane, Logan and Moreton Bay councils and they run, or we run all their free and low cost fishing activities. So it's a, a good way to get the kids into sport without going to the expense of buying all that equipment to find three weeks Mm. later they don't like fishing. So we supply all the equipment and everything that you need. So you basically just bring your hat, drink and sunscreen, turn up and we'll help you with the rest. Isn't that great? And a big shout-out to the Brisbane City Council, Logan City Council and Moreton Bay City Council because this has been happening for a very long time. How many years have they been supporting your business in helping uh, young people? Pretty sure the Brisbane Council, we've been with them just over 10 years and the other two probably ne- nearly as long, just a couple, couple of years less. That's, that's, that's fantastic. It really is fantastic. And I'm very interested in seeing you guys in action. But also I'm not a fisherwoman, so uh, um, you'd have to explain to me now a little bit more about uh, the fishing gear because I know when we were young we just had a reel and our yep. kids had a reel and a yabby pot. Uh, so tell me tell me a little bit about the gear that the, they, the kids and uh, the adults need. Yeah, sure. So we use the LV reels in our in our classes. We do use um, other other gear in our high, um, a bit more high end for our private one on one classes. But for those of you that can see, so this is an LV reel. It's a Queensland company. They've been going just on a hundred years. Wow! And they are a little bit trickier to use. So you've got to twist the handle to twist the actual reel to cast it out. <clears throat> But once the kids get the hang of it, that reel, if, if they can use it from a young age, that, that'll last them till they're an adult. They are made in Queensland for Australian conditions. That they, they can be dropped into the, the water. I've had one that one of the kids was 
uh, we were fishing at Nudgee Beach and the, and the rod's taking off into the water and I couldn't get it back. And so I went back to the beach about six hours later and I seen a lady pulling fishing line. I thought, hang on a minute. And she actually, there was still a fish attached to it, which she released, and that reel had been submerged for about eight hours. We just picked it up, put it in a bucket of water, and we're still using that one today. So once you get them, <laughs> they, they do work very, very That's well. That's what you want too, isn't it? Because for parents looking for activities and sports for their children uh, to do and get you know, make sure they're in the outdoors and they're having fresh air and sunshine and, and doing things that are also community-friendly as well. And it's important that, that it, they're able to do it because the more the merrier. And these algae fishing rods look fabulous. I have never seen one with a great big reel on it like that with the handles. So mm. I can imagine my fingers would be a bit of a butterfingers. But does is that easier once they've got the gist of it? Is that easier for a child to use? I suppose the reels all have their, their places. So to me, um, yeah, I'll be more a bait, fishing with bait, and yes. then you can move on to your spinning reels for, for your yeah. lures and, and all that type of thing. Yeah. But yeah, once they get the hang of, because it, it, it can wind forwards and backwards and that's where they can get into trouble and they can get a few tangles. Yes. So once they get the hang of which way to wind, then, then they should be right. I can imagine the nightmare of the tangles. <laughs> <laughs> Hence all the knotting, I can imagine. So tell me, uh, for our listeners, and I'm sure anyone who isn't in Australia and listening, if you ever come to Queensland, this would be a fabulous activity for you to do, especially if you have kids or not, if you're um, on your Larry Lonesome and looking for something to do or you have uh, a gr- in a group or the partner, this is a great opportunity to, for you to learn about uh, our oceans uh, and uh, the rules and regulations around our beaches and our waterways. So can you just give me a little bit of an idea how much a parent would have to outlay for their child to outfit them for a lesson? Well, for a lesson with us, um, all, our, all the equipment is supplied. So oh, for yeah. a basic group lesson, you're looking at $60 a person. Yes. Or we do 170 for a family of up to five. Yes. Oh, we do that to encourage the mums and dads to come down with the kids. Mm. So, it, you know, family that fishes together stays together type of, <laughs> type of motto. Exactly. Um, and, and it's all about creating memories. Mm. We found with our kids when they'd catch a fish, if you go, oh, remember that um, holiday that we had at Maroochydore? No. Remember the flathead you caught at Maroochydore? Oh, yeah, I remember that holiday. So they'll relate places to fish that they've caught, which... Again, it comes back to your memories. Exactly, you know, blue claw um, are our uh, you know, our kids have had numerous um, uh, yabby yabby um, fishing uh, days, nights, etc. And uh, and they used to love it, and and they'd love the fact that you'd sit around a campfire as well with the big pot and boil boil them. And, uh, and they sometimes, as they got older, they just kind of insisted we put them to sleep in the fridge first. And they yes. <laughs> the starting to get a little bit, yeah, a little bit wary about that. But it's really good. So if they wanted to continue, obviously, if they're, if they're learning as a family and they want to go and buy their own equipment, then could you just give us an idea of, of what a rod costs? Now, Alvi rod costs approximately. I think the Alvi's, um, this one's a... I think they've renamed them all now, but this one was a, a 500B, 
Yes. So there is one smaller than that yeah. that the, the little eggs could handle. <clears throat> but we find that one's a general purpose one. I believe, Rod and Reel, you're looking at roughly $130 for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so about $70 for a yabby pump. If you want to go the bait net, I think they're about $100. And your, your hooks and sinkers, you know, fishing can be as cheap or as expensive as you want yes. it to be. So yeah. there is, you know, you can pay $2 for a bunch of hooks or you can pay 10 or $15, just mm-hmm. depends on what your mm-hmm. budget is. So what sort of hooks, uh, what sort of hooks and sinkers do they require? There is a vast range out there. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so predominantly we try to use a long shank hook so it um, goes around and straight up. So it's got a, a longer shank. Yes, that's right, Yeah, yes, that's right, Jay. So that your, your yabbies and prawns are easier to, to stay on those hooks. Yeah, uh, we usually use a, a number four or a number two size hook. Mm-hmm. But um, in saying that, we also use barbless hooks, which we found very hard to get. So at the moment we're using a carp hook, but there yeah. is no barbs on it. So the bait doesn't stay on as well, but it's more of a safety issue. And as well, if we get any bycatch, uh, like your turtles and eels and things like that, it's very easy and quickly, re- they're very quickly removed from that hook. Mm. So tell me how how you do that. How do you remove them from that hook? So you've got a turtle that you've accidentally hooked up. How do you disengage them from a sharp, sharp hook? Yep. So if you've got the barb on, you want to obviously get that turtle. If you've got something to put over it to take the stre- relieve the stress, <clears throat> try and get that hook out. Um, but if you can't, just cut the line. Cut it as close to the hook as you can because the, it's the the line that can do the damage. They can get tangled around things and drown. A lot of the times the hooks in their mouths don't bother them because they're used to eating things with shells. They can manipulate or, or get them out. But a lot of the time being in salt water, they, they will rust out very quickly. And the oh. same goes for, for fish that you've caught as well if you're releasing them. Don't leave that line on the end. Yeah. So you don't push it right, like cut the line and push it right through? You actually... Well, they've got a... Um, End on, so they just got the end on it. So unless, uh, yeah, so unless yeah. you've got pliers there that you can quickly cut it off, yeah, ju- just yeah. leave that hook and do the best Work you can. the barbs so that you can get it out. Yeah. And they're in salty water, so um, yeah, help. that's good to know then. That's really good to know. So so then we'll have um, um, probably around about $10 for line, hooks, sinkers and a rod and a yabby pump. And that's, that's a pretty good deal. I know our kids used to go snow skiing and it, it was – exorbitant the cost mm. but but i was thinking while you're talking uh, our son was ex- uh, both our son and daughter very tall so they had to have long skis and long uh, boards snowboards um is there a height of a of a rod a length of a rod for a height of a of a child they do come in different sizes yeah. um the ones that we use we use a seven foot rod which a lot of the kids go oh that's way too big for me but but they do get the hang of it yeah. Um, same with the yabby pumps. They come in different sizes. And in Australia, we've got two brands that are Australian, I believe, which is the Alvey and the Wilson. So we always try to promote or purchase Australian made when we can. As, as we do. Yes, Ooh. that sounds great. Okay. So 
once they've caught their catch, what do they do? Because I'm sure they're going to be out on the beach for a long time and it's going to get a bit whiffy. Um, we don't, you know, we want to eat it. So what do you do to, to protect it and preserve it so that you can take it home and eat it? Yeah, sure. So first thing you need to double check is that you've got the correct size fish that you are allowed to keep. And we always take a, an esky with ice along with us. It'll keep it nice and fresh for hours so you can keep fishing and head on home with it. Ah, it's good. And I know uh, just from programs I've watched over the years that the Department of Fisheries, both in New Zealand and Australia, are really, really strict, extremely strict, as they should be. Yes. And uh, are constantly on the lookout for people who are naughty and don't do the right things. I know many, many, many years ago I worked with air surveillance or Coast Watch Patrol right up in the top end of Australia from Borroloola over in the Northern Territory, right up to the top of the tip uh, of the Cape and then down uh, down into Cairns. And, uh, we, uh, yeah, it was beautiful, beautiful. You would have loved it flying mm-hmm. over that sort of country, seeing dugongs and turtles and it was just divine, a uh, beautiful time in my life. But it was interesting that um, we, uh, had a, we were able to see all the different types of of sea life and learn about those in our job. And so um, we basically never, ever got the chance to be down on the ground in amongst what's happening. So tell me, when you take a, a child or a young person to fish offshore or onshore, does that mean they go into the water or stand on the edge? Depends on the day. Um so depends on where the tide is. So sometimes we'll have to pump gabbies, you know, knee deep water, but we take sieves down so that we can pump into that. <clears throat> then sometimes, like the other week, we had a, an Oshcare group and the water was just so hot and we had to go out past our knees, um, yeah. probably up up to, up to my waist before the water actually got a bit cooler. Um, dra- dragging the bait net as well. So if we've got Oshcare or vacation care groups that. Those kids are predominantly five to twelve years old, so yes. we sort of like have to go to their knee knee deep. So we'll keep yeah. those at the shallow end, and then we'll take the bull shark end. So, <laughs> so that brings to mind, as a lot of people I can imagine are ticking over and going, "Oh, Australian, Australian oceans are pretty savage," and they are. They're nothing to to uh, to uh, take for granted at all. So, can you tell me about how you manage? Um, you know all those uh, all those uh, dangerous dangerous swimmers that they might come across. Yeah, we actually like it when we do catch them. So then the creatures are in front of the kids; they're live. They can see what they look like in the wild. <clears throat> we've caught stonefish. We've caught blue ringed octopus. We've caught wobbegong shark. Yes, uh, in, in the bait net. But the kids get to paddle that. Oh, not not paddle all of it, but <laughs> the, the stuff that we can, <laughs> the stuff that we can get them to pat. Uh, um, we've got stingrays, so we'll, we'll hang on to the to the tail so the kids can come along and have a, a pat before we release it all. So when you hang on to a stingray tail, of course we are all in Australia very well aware of the danger of of the tail, the barb. Of a stingray because uh, we lost, you know, one of our most notorious um, uh, bushmen uh, in, in, with that in the water. So, can you tell me how how do you go about grabbing a stingray? They flat flip, wouldn't they, pretty quickly? They do, um, and if you can 
if you can grab them the right way, you still got to hold them out at arm's length. But we also have started taking welding gloves with us yeah. so that we just pick it up and hold on to it. Yeah. Kids can quickly have, have that pat and, and then they'll watch it swim back off. Ah, oh, that's but lovely. We done a class down here at Victoria Point and all the girls, I had, I think we had about 20 girls all lined up. They were out in knee-deep water and I could see a stingray coming towards them. I thought, oh, my goodness, these girls are going to squeal, they're going to run. Yeah. But I actually I was able to keep them calm. The stingray came in and just swam in between them all like traffic cones and then came around. <laughs> and then we actually threw a net over the stingray, caught it, so they call have a pat. Yeah. Try, try, people get scared, but the stingrays aren't going to come up out and attack you. They are so, so placid. Yeah. They're lovely yeah. creatures. And that's the myth that, that we're sharing today, isn't it? The myths of, of sea life. And, it, and it's like snakes as well. I, I was um, with my sister the other night to just finishing helping her feed her racehorses and we were walking into the house and all of a sudden she jumped sideways, she said, snake. And I went, whoa, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and she said, don't forget he's there when you leave tonight. And, uh, and, yeah, you know, you just have to be very careful and keep your eyes open. But what other, what other um, dangerous You've got, you mentioned sharks, you mentioned uh, stonefish, which yeah. are very dangerous, um, jellyfish. Yeah, yeah, we come across jellyfish. You've got your, your blue bottles, which they're a very interesting creature. They're actually, I believe, four animals that have joined together in a symbiotic relationship. Um, <laughs> <laughs> really? Hmm. So most of us know the blue bottle because we've all been stung by them. Yes, yes, yes. Um, but you know, I say to the kids, wait till it's up on the high tide, Mark. I'll take a photo. I'll get down and check it out and see if you can figure out how they all join up together. Oh, there you go. So that, I didn't know that either. So it's interesting, really interesting world and, and a, a great opportunity for both uh, children and adults and young people to, um, to learn. Can you tell me, um, you were telling me that you employ a lot of casuals to help. So can you tell me a little bit, a bit about your casuals? Where do they come from, what they do, how old are they? Yeah, sure. Um, so we've got Bo is probably our main person with the running the fishing classes. So he came, he's, I think he's about to turn 21. He came to us when he was 12 with his grandfather. So We've done for quite a while now, so his family have become friends with us as well. <clears throat> um, we also had another young fellow come along, and he's um, he, he's now a qualified teacher. A lot of our other casuals have either had a birthday party or fishing lessons when they were younger, so that creates sort of a two-way loyalty. To us, they're nearly like our kids. And yes. As they've grown up, it's their dream job <clears throat> and they've got that loyalty to us as well as our, our business. So I think we've probably six out of the ten staff that we've got have come through our programs. We've That's watched right. them grow up. You've watched them grow up. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, and it's quite a it's, it's very well-paid job too, so it's a, a lovely form of employment. So for those people out there who might be unemployed and in Queensland, could be something that you might consider. And so we'll talk about how you can get hold of Sam later. Now, Sam, I love the name of your business, Two Bent Rods. So tell me, how did you create that name? Well, Jeremy and I did sit here one night and um, had a few drinks. <laughs> <We> thought, <laughs> <That's true. laughs> 
<laughs> just tossing ideas up. Um, and we thought, well, if you're rod spending or you're onto something, hopefully it's not a snag. Um, and there was two of us, so we tried to, yeah, that's how we came up with two bent rods. I love it. I love it. I just love that name, Two Bent Rods. So for our listeners, I met uh, Jeremy and Sam last year and I was a judge in, a, in an awards and uh, I was able to meet them and it was very exciting because they were able to share with me what they did. And I was very interested because I had never met anyone that had, that does what you do before. And so I invited them to come and chat on uh, this radio station, BBS Radio. So we have Samantha here. But she has a wealth of knowledge and activities in other areas. So how many classes a month approximately would you teach? School holidays is our busiest time. So we do a lot of vacation care classes as well as council and the, our private ones. Um so without any COVID and bad weather hitting, <laughs> um, January we had 50 classes booked in for, for that three-week period. Um, September is one of our busiest lot of holidays and we can do anywhere from 1,000 to 13 kids will come through over that two-week period. Wow. Wow, yeah. that's, that's huge. Isn't that good? That's, that's really superb. We were all horsewomen, so I'm sure... You know, that, that was a nightmare getting us all around there, three of us and only two-horse float. So one always had to, uh, one always had to uh, pop out. So can you share with us in which areas you mostly work? So you, you mentioned Victoria Point. Yes. <clears throat> we live at Victoria Point um, and it's we've got the best-kept secret, Thompson's Beach there. It's, uh, we've got the nice white sand at, it doesn't get too deep so the little kids can go for a swim as well as having a fish. And we had something interesting happen yesterday down there. We had a loggerhead turtle come up and lay her eggs. <clears throat> so it was, uh, my next-door neighbour actually seen her and he stood guard then over those eggs for six hours <laughs> while all the relevant authorities came down. Yes. And so we got, we got a few photos and little bits of video. I didn't actually get to see the turtle but the park rangers scraped away all the sand and they pulled all the eggs out and the eggs had to be picked up and placed exactly how they came out so that they weren't turned upside down. Um, but where she'd laid them, we had some high, we've got high tides, so she's laid them too, too close to the water <clears throat> and she didn't lay them deep enough. So they pulled out just over 200 eggs, which was really amazing. And they've been re- relocated now to Stradbroke Island. Oh, how fantastic is that? Yeah, it's awesome. Isn't so it? I, I believe, I believe there's been a, Yeah, uh, a lot of people have said that they haven't heard of it before, but I was talking to a fellow yesterday and he said that he's seen it when he was a kid. And I, I've come back and done a bit of research on it and it did say that sometimes the, the hatchlings will come back to where they were born to, to have their babies. And, and the survival rate is very, very small. It can be as mm. little as one or two. So, so that's absolutely amazing. That is. And, and so the, the little uh, homing devices uh, has mm. taken them, which is great. We've taken one, one lady back and, uh, and made, made it possible to keep that line going a little stronger so they were able to get the, the fisheries uh, to, to help there. But tell me, 
obviously um, you're, you're fishing for not for ornamental fish, you're fishing for eating and along would come along the pests as well. So can you tell me a bit about your pest fish? Yep. So the main ones are carp and tilapia and to some of your listeners around the world, they'll be going, they're not a pest. We eat them and we farm them. But they were introduced to Australia from the other countries. So they were more an ornamental fish and now they are creating and wreaking havoc in our waterways. And can you explain to our listeners why they're wreaking havoc in our waterways? Yep. So um, they can be bottom feeders so they'll suck away at the mud. They can deplete the oxygen out of that waterway, <clears throat> delete our native fish and the, the, the smaller fingerlings and things. Um, and and they, just cre- they just create an environment where our natives can't survive. That's right. So they, they muddy up the water. Yes. And so the, the na- our native fish uh, lose oxygen and can't survive. And so they're... They can because they've adapted and they're quite tough. And mm. that's what we're doing. We're protecting our native a fish in that's our right. country. It's really important to preserve that. And like a lot of things, you know, rabbits and all sorts of things and toads and whatnot, they were brought here for a reason. In this case, it was ornamental, which is very sad, uh, brought here and then they've, um, they've bred up really well and adapted to our uh, climate and our conditions and environment and have taken over and taken over from our natives. So it's not really good. So how do we manage, how do you manage in your business, how do you manage these pests? Well, we've been, I think we've been going pest fishing since about 2008. So we caught one out in the wild years ago and once we identified it, well, okay, we didn't know about that, so we need to educate ourselves on it and then pass that knowledge on. But we started doing pest fishing competitions, so we are only targeting the carp or the tilapia, and it's predominantly the tilapia that we target. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and occasionally they do catch a few carp as well. Our competitions are family-friendly, so we target the families rather than the hardcore fishermen. But you always do need a mix of both because the, those hardcore fishermen, that they have a passion as well and they want to help the environment and they, they'll help to pass that knowledge on to the younger kids. Yeah. And, and they also, you know, in the comps, they'll, they'll pull out quite a few of those fish. We structure our fishing competitions so as to give back to the waterway that we've fished. So most of our comps are very low cost. We charge either corporate or council a fee <clears throat> uh, and normally the entrance will only pay about $5. So once the ticketing fees come out, their entry fee, any bait that we sell, that the profit from that, profit from the barbecues, we then give that to the Fish Stocking Association and they liaise with the fisheries as to what fish we, what fingerlings we're allowed to buy and then we release them into that waterway to try and help restore the balance. I love it. I just love it. I love it. So for our listeners, 
Uh, Sam and I had a chat the other day because I really needed to to update my knowledge um, and improve my knowledge and understanding of, of what Sam and her husband Jeremy do because it is a complex area for me, not being a fisherwoman uh, or ever having lived near the coast, etc. Very rare for me to have gone to the coast. And so when she mentioned that another arm of her business is these fishing competitions, I got really excited because I could see the value and the worth for the community uh, coming together as families, doing an activity as a family in terms of competition, and also for the environment, uh, how you're helping protect our waterways and, uh, and in a fun way so that it's a competition. So I love the fact that you are doing this and you've been doing this for some time. And with your sponsorship money and the money that you collect, which wouldn't be a lot if, if it's only $5 a person and then um, say you've got a platform that takes a percentage of that, mm. that fee and then you've got other costs. You're literally doing this for the love of it, I can, I can imagine. Uh, but the sponsorship then goes towards purchasing fingerlings to put back into the water to regenerate our native uh, fish and so what sort of fingerlings can you share? Because we may have a lot of people who aren't, who aren't, don't have any knowledge of that. In Australia, what sort of fish are you looking at purchasing? <clears throat> Excuse yeah, sure. me. Um, so when we, we've done three fishing competitions at um, Springfield Lakes. Yes. And o- over that time, um, we have put in 13,000 bass fingerlings. Yes. And... I think are roughly 3,000 Mary River cod fingerlings. A lot, a lot of those won't survive. I think they say it's about a 10% of those fish will survive. Um, but that was from the funds raised through those things that I mentioned and then sometimes there'll be sponsorship of that, those as well and some of the stocking groups will raise some money for those ones. And you put on a barbecue. and So it's very, you, you know, try and generate that family-oriented um, approach so that uh, you're building the community and yes. you're building the community's value of caring for for the environment. I love it. So I just love what you're doing, this competition. And the fishing pest competitions, I've never heard of them before. I love the idea. So you mentioned to me that you have some prizes. Yes, we always always have prizes. <laughs> it helps to get the, the, the people to, to come along as well. Um, but our two main prizes are we try to give away two kayaks at each competition and you don't have to catch a fish. It's a lucky door prize. <clears throat> and the second one is a rubbish raffle, so all the kids have to bring us rubbish to um, to get a ticket to enter into that. Uh, our sort of motto is you always leave the area cleaner than what you found it, so that encourages and tries to Sorry, encourages the kids to, to go and, and clean it up as well as to get that in their mind to, to do it wherever they go. What a generous, generous a, a donation, a kayak uh, to for a door prize, so to speak, so you don't actually even have to be a fisher person. You can be there with your family and your family would benefit from that prize. Gosh, I'd love to win a kayak. I used to do a lot of canoeing uh, when I was young up in the Gulf. Um, I went into the Gregory Canoe Races, which is a pretty arduous, oh, it was extremely arduous, um, 
race <laughs> in a Canadian canoe, the two of us, and it was pretty full on. I can still remember it to this day. <laughs> I remember bags of fun. But, uh, and I would love canoeing, and I used to have a, a, a dog, a cattle dog that would come with me all the time. So a, a kayak is something a little bit different, obviously, and fabulous, a fabulous prize. And a rubbish prize, I think that's great. I think that is really unique. I like that, a rubbish prize for the kids. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. So there you go, everyone. So we were talking about some of the things that Sam and her husband Jeremy do in terms of working with school kids and predominantly school kids and adults, tourists, people who might turn up in Queensland. And we've, we've got a lot of those coming in from down south. Uh, once those, uh, due to COVID, once the borders open, they flocked up to us for some sunshine, fresh air, <clears throat> and our beautiful beaches, obviously. And uh, and then they can find you and go fishing. If I knew you were around when our kids were young, I, I definitely would have been there. Uh, because I would have loved to have learnt, learnt it properly and then and help the kids. It's a discipline, isn't it? So they help the kids learn and, and continue learning uh, mm. into water. And a, um, a life skill. Absolutely a life skill because I know I was always terrified of bringing our kids from the bush to the um, the beach because of the rips and our, and our son, he just would just swim straight out. Like he just did not understand and would not understand and we'd always put bright colours on him so that we could see him where he was and keep an eye on him at all times and uh, very worried that he would just end right out there with the sharks because he would be a delicious morsel. <laughs> but so, so you're teaching the kids these sorts of things too, how to read the currents, how to read the rips and things like that as well. Do touch on a little bit, yes. Yeah, yeah. as well as all those dangerous animals. And... Uh, Okay, so I love the fact that you use the bass fingerlings and the Mary River cod. So when they grow to an adult size, can you tell me a little bit about what they look like? How big, about how big they grow? I think the bass. A lake. I think that they only grow to about 30 centimetres. Don't quote me on that one. Um, The Mary River cod can grow quite large out in the wild, but where they've been released is a, a smaller enclosed body. So I don't think that they would grow it as large there. And so you encouraging the locals around those lakes to fish them? Well, a lot of the places that we go to are no fishing zones. So it's a lot of people can't understand why can't I just fish here, but you know, rules are rules. Whether we like them or not, we've just got to follow them. But at least um, by having the competitions, it does open those areas up for a day here and there for, for the locals. And, and um, others come around from different areas as well to get in to, to help out. But, yeah, we so, really need to stress that a lot of those days are fishing is only allowed on those days. We can't encourage anyone to come back at other times. That's right. And so they're fishing for pests, and that, that's a good thing to do, isn't it, fishing for it pests? Is. A great thing to do, and uh, then they remove them <clears throat> and dispose of them, and then uh, replace them with the fingerlings. And the whole idea of replacing their natives is to clean up the water, so it's clean, and it's you know, we have a cleaner environment. So tell me, your very first um, fishing pest comp, how many pests were were you successful in removing in the waterway? 
The first one at Springfield, um, I believe we got pretty very close to 900 tilapia. Mm. We only caught two or three natives, so bass or yellow belly. Over an 18-month period, there was three competitions there. By the third comp, I think it was about 145 tilapia were caught and 40 or more natives. And a lot of those were fingerlings that had been released six or 12 months earlier because they'd grown to about 10 to 12 centimetres. So the Stocking Association tagged a lot of the larger fish so that when they are caught, we can go, okay, this was tagged on this day, so it's grown X amount of centimetres in the last 12 months. So it gives them a good indication there. And I think it was the last comp, they also, somebody caught three carp and they were 67 to 72 centimetres, so they were very large. Yes. And one lady's cut one open and pulled out the egg sack and they weighed that. So between the three of them, I think there was about six kilos of eggs and the guys said that was probably about five million eggs <gasps> that, that was stopped from going back into that waterway. Uh, so that was very interesting. It would have been too. That, mm. That's a lot of eggs, isn't it? And uh, it is. that's how prolific they are. Mm. Mm. So that therefore you can actually measure the improvement in the environment. And I love that. And it's a community project that's also environmentally sustainable because it's something that can keep going, can keep going regardless of the time of the year, whether it's winter or summer? Um, predominantly they like the warmer weather. They're, they're more active. I'm yes. saying that and up north you've got the warmer weather most of the year round, so you'd be able to catch them most of the year round up there. But they do mm. shut down a little bit down here in the Brisbane area. Mm. Mm. I used to love, I think that's all I ever ate when I was up north, fish. Uh, mm. Because I was saying, uh, you know, I met a lot of uh, fishermen and women when I was working for air surveillance and uh, I get to try all sorts of fish and beautiful fish and especially uh, out near morning to up near Mornington Island off off the waters up there and sweet lip, sweet lip and perch were always my favourite and <laughs> I love that. So I was going to ask you about how do you approach uh, sponsors and the council, what do you do to make get these uh, uh, pest fishing comps started? It can be a bit tricky. Um, the councils and other people that own the water bodies, have they do have a general biosecurity obligation to meet. Hmm. Um, so you know, we might have some locals come and say, look, there's some tilapia down here, can you get a pest fishing comp going? So we'll contact the council, put our proposal to them, and they'll either accept it or, or they won't. <laughs> um, and then from there, we'll put out the call for sponsors, and that, that's predominantly prizes yes. for the comps. Um, we have, because we do so many, uh, we have worn a lot of the big manufacturers out. So we've had to build into our costs or the, the cost of the, buying the prizes to give out as well. Um, and we do run our comps a little bit differently as we don't use volunteers or all our staff on the day are paid as well. Yes, yeah. Oh, there's a lot of staff. I can imagine how many. There was a listener. I did a live after I spoke to you the other day. I did a live um, video on my Facebook, my personal page, and there are a few listeners there that, that are in my local area and they heard us talk about the possibility of starting 
a pest competition here in my area, which is Toowoomba, which is two hours west of um, Brisbane, our city of Queensland. And they were very, very excited. Uh, so they, they uh, are refugees. They've come from yep. Syria. And they, they said they were very excited to talk to their community and tell them about what, what might be happening with, with a great hope. So for our listeners today, we decided that uh, we would love to do a competition here and Sam suggested the Tracy Tully Talks um, Pest Fishing Competition because obviously it's a good way for me to be the voice to get it out there and it did. It all, it had quite a, a bit of a... Um, uh, uh, and int- quite a bit of interest when I when I spoke about it on my live, which demonstrated that it's it's going to be a winner here. And so you talked about having it later in the year when it's warm, and I thought what a great idea. So Sam's going to instigate uh, that permission by writing to our Toowoomba Regional Council and proposing to have a, a, a pest fishing competition here when we can raise money to purchase fingerlings to go back into our waterways. So that was really exciting. So that's something that we decided, yeah, let's do it. Let's let's come on board and do that. So if you are out there and you're a listener and you would like to come to Toowoomba, you'll hear about it. We'll put it up in here and uh, on the BBS Radio website and obviously on my Facebook page, Tracy Tully, and also on Sam's um, website, Event rods. So that'll be exciting. So if you'd wanted to bring your family and come and be part of that, if you wanted to come solo, uh, that, that's fine. If you are a business or, or a private person who would love to sponsor sponsor this, that'll be wonderful too. So there's lots of opportunities for everyone and what a wonderful idea it is. Now, Sam, how can people find you? How can they track you down? Yeah, sure. Um, so we have the website, all the W's, and it's the two, number two bentrods.com.au you can find us on facebook and you can also give me a call on 0403 713 820 great okay so samantha beckman and it's www.2 which is the number two bent rods b-e-n-t-r-o-d-s rods.com.au sam and jeremy are on instagram and on facebook under Two bent rods, and Sam's phone number in Australia is zero four zero three seven one three eight two zero. So if you've been listening today, you might like to share this information. This goes onto my YouTube, so people will be hearing this forever <laughs> as it continues to to remain there, which is great because you're sharing your information and knowledge and ideas. And obviously, what a great birthday party event for kids. Uh, to to be part of. So I love that. And, of course, the, the fishing, the pest fishing. So do you think we, we'd be able to get two kayaks from someone for Toowoomba's pest fishing? I'm sure we can do that. Yeah, how lovely. So so for any group who wants to uh, sponsor us, then you will have free marketing with uh, myself here uh, at Tracy Tully Talks on BBS Radio. So I'd love you to come on board if you are thinking about it and talk to us in person and tell us about your business and why you'd like to sponsor and that would be fabulous Uh, and uh, we'll market your business and obviously showcase that uh, sponsorship on the day as well. So it's really, really good. And what I love about uh, Two Bent Rods is that 
It's a family-based activity for young and old, experienced and non-experienced. And Sam, you were telling me that language isn't a barrier. No, not at all. Um, it was quite a few years ago we ran classes and we'd have um, your refugees and that coming in and um, occasionally a translator would come down, sometimes not. So it's they still we still manage to catch shabbies, we still manage to get them to tie their knots and, and everything. There's always a way around it. Absolutely. So I think fishing fishing doesn't discriminate. It doesn't matter what your age is, what your ability, what your ethnicity is. Ethnicity, what your gender is, what your age is. That's right. There's no discrimination there for fishing. No, not at all. And and it's supervised for children, so as young as five, old as 91 years old. My mum's 90. I'd love to throw her over the shoulder and take her fishing, (laughs) but I think that might be a bit much for her now. But there you go. So, ladies and gentlemen, this has been a fabulous, fabulous opportunity to speak to Sam. Now, Sam, did you have any, um, we've still got a few minutes left, do you have any um, animals in resin that you can show us nearby um, at all? I did have a quick look when I did say that to you and I thought they're not going to, they're getting a bit tatty. And oh, I didn't they? think that they would really show up too good. Yeah, um, on the camera. Yeah. I, I, I can race off and grab your stonefish if you'd like that. It'll only take me a second. Okay, why not? Okay, well, I'll be back. But Sam's going to race off and get us a stonefish. Now, stonefish are really dangerous, really dangerous. Uh, so I'm a, a scuba diver and I know in my uh, time diving that uh, you, you have to be very, very aware of what's out there and what you do and you don't do. So Sam's really hands-on in our BBS radio channel. I love it here, always in Australia, that's for sure. And uh, she's just popping on her earphones now. She's got a stonefish. It's not something I think she's going to pat, but she's got a jar. So we're getting as really close as possible. Isn't it? Oh, there he is. There's his face. It's sort of cute in an ugly sort of a way. He is, isn't he? So he's got that big mouth. And where's his eyes? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah you can just see. Yeah. There's his little eyes. So tell me, um, it, what is there a specific part on that stonefish that if you stand on it, you'll get stuck? Is there, so is, he's got 13 spikes on his back and they point out in different directions. So if you do ever stand on one, um, you're in an ambulance first, get your foot or your hand. It's normally fishing and you've either picked it up or you've stood on it. Um, get your foot or your hand in a bucket of hot water as quick as you can and you want it as hot as you can handle without burning yourself mm. and you'll want to keep topping that water up. But tell um, me, what, what's the success rate once you've been stung by? I believe your chance of surviving very good. We do have anti-venom. Um, they do say that the pain is a lot worse than childbirth. I'm not going to put that to the test. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yes, we won't go there, will we? <laughs> but no. um, but that's a, he's a big, big fellow. It's a male or a female? I'm not too sure with that one. Yeah. Um, so you've had that one for a while? We have. We've had that one for a couple of years. We're a little bit of a weird sort of family. We will try to catch the dangerous stuff. Um, that one might be a little bit too hard to see. Uh, that one was a blue-ringed octopus. Um, but Is that again... It only looked brown when we caught it until you get it cranky and then you get the like a blue strobe light come up and down his body. 
There is no anti-venom for those guys. Um, but I believe that we've only had two or three fatalities since about the 1950s in Australia. So your chances of surviving are very good. Oh, that's nice to know, isn't it? So the biggest thing is get onto that phone um, straight away to the ambulance. And I, and yes. I remember when I was uh, diving, I was doing my um, my very last, no, second last day diving, and uh, I was swimming along and I thought, where is everyone? No one's around me. I'm looking around. I couldn't see anyone. I thought, oh, this is a bit of a worry. This is not good right out in Mackay Harbour. Um, and... Uh, when I got out, finally, the the uh, instructors came over to me and he said, are you okay? And I said, yes, why? He said, didn't you see what was behind you? I thought, oh, no. <laughs> he said, you had heaps and heaps of sea snakes swimming along behind you. He said, oh, just no. He said, no, we weren't going to go near you or tell you. We just let you go and we just we were away from you watching you. Just, um, that's not thanks. Oh, goodness. <laughs> But he explained that they really have to disconnect their their um, mouth to if they bit me, it would have to be on, they said on the my little finger, and they'd have to disconnect to get that bite, and that it would be pretty quick, very very yes. fast. All right, my dear, lovely speaking to you. It's just lovely speaking to you. So Samantha Beckman, thank you so much for coming on BBS Radio. And to all our listeners today, thanks for listening to another 60 minutes of inspiring talk and uh, I'd love to see you and hear from you again. So thank you very much. Don't forget to pop on to bbsradio.com and always listen to us on bbsradio.com forward slash Tracy Tully, no ease. Tracy Tully talks, no ease. And we're also on YouTube and uh, Spotify and lots of other podcasts. Thank you so much, Sam, and all the very best. Thank you so much, Tracy. It's been good. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for listening to another 60 Minutes of Inspiring Talking Points on Tracy Tully Talks, brought to you by bbsradio.com. Tune in every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. Australian Time, AEST, and 5 p.m. PT Time in America. Leave me a message on my website at www.bbsradio.com forward slash Tracy Tully Talks. If you're interested in lifting the profile, presence and profit of your business, sponsorship opportunities are available. Until next Thursday, it's goodbye from me.